Well, I saw that movie when I was a kid. We, used, my brother and I, used to brag that we saw. You know, they didn't have streaming back then, so we had to go to the movies to watch things. And we saw it 14 times in the movie theater. We dragged my poor dad out to the movies 14 times to the same movie. No wonder why he didn't have other children. But it's, it's one of my favorite movies because it centers around something that's very, very mysterious, the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant um, is, the Ark is very mysterious, right? It's, a, it's an ancient artifact. It's something that the Jews had. Um, it's both symbolic and it, is, it was an actual instrument uh, where the presence of God would reside, right? But it's funny how Hollywood takes things, right? It's a transmitter, a radio for speaking to God. Wrong. Nope. Nice try, though. But, you know, they love to make stuff up. Uh, but God showed through the building of the temple and the tabernacle and the housing of the ark that he wants his presence to be with his people. It was really, that's really what it was about. It was all bringing us back to the original design. Man was designed and, and created to be in the presence of God. And that's what we want to talk about today, cultivating the presence of God. So how do we cultivate this in our daily lives? How do we cultivate the presence of God on, in our daily, day-to-day, hectic lives? Um, so I want to kind of go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis, it's, it's really wonderful to see how man and God commune together. Man and God communed together. They had, they had relationship. There wasn't any separation. And this is the original design and purpose was for man was to live and enjoy the presence of God. That, and that's still what God wants. God still wants to be in your life. He still wants you to live in his presence, even to this day. But there's a problem, and sin is separated man. So they heard, this is what it says in Genesis 3, 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees in the garden. Now, sin causes us to feel what? Shame and guilt and all these things, and we hide. And even, to, even today we do this, right? We hide from God. We don't want to come into his presence Right, If we've been messing up or we've been not living our lives right or whatever, we're feeling a sense of guilt and shame in our lives. We have a tendency to, to hide. And so I'm going to take us back to Exodus chapter 33 now when the Israelites had became numerous. They lived in Egypt and then Moses, uh, they were enslaved and Moses delivered them out. And here they are in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God is now trying to get man back to his presence. Right? So, so he, he designs and shows Moses a design for a tabernacle of how man can get back into the presence of God. And it says this. Now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out of the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at his door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent, and the cloud and the Lord would speak with Moses. And as all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance of the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship, each one at the door of his tent. 
The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks, speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, look, you told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. You said, I will know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I indeed have found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished, be distinguished by this from all other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. Now, if you can, you've got your Bibles out in front of you, you can skip over to page 184, and it's Joshua chapter 1. So now Moses has died, and now Joshua has come up in, as his disciple, as his successor. And God says to Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the the land I swore to their ancestor to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it for the, to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So God is teaching Joshua how to cultivate the presence of God in his life. He's giving him instructions, right? Be strong and courageous. I will be with you just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. We're talking about discipleship. And so the Holy Spirit plays a big role in our discipleship. As he is with those who've mentored you, so he's going to be with you, right? That's God's role in discipleship. You know, we're, we're sort of closing out our series here, and we're going to have our last day of life group sign up uh, today for this quarter. We'll do it again probably in January. But, um, you know, we want to sort of lean into the Holy Spirit a little bit today and um, look to see how the Holy Spirit wants us and to lead us and how he wants to be in, in our lives as a present help in time of trouble. Because here's the deal. The blessings of God are in the presence of God. So Joshua, son of none, son of nobody, I think that's what it means. I don't know if that's an accurate translation. Just this guy, he was a servant to Moses. He was just an ordinary average dude, and he was kind of just helping Moses. And so when Moses would go into the tent, the, the pillar of cloud would come down, and, Mo, and God would meet with Moses face to face, and there was Joshua, probably like this guy, you know. And then Moses would leave, and Joshua would stay. He lingered. And maybe there's something to that, to the lingering, to the pressing in a little bit. Why did God call, why did the Lord put his hand on Joshua, son of Nun? Why did he use him? Maybe there's something in the lingering. Maybe there's something in the fact that he was a little bit hungrier than most people. He was pressing in. He wanted the presence of God. He wanted to be in the presence of God. Think about that. He wanted to be in the presence of God. 
So do we want to be in the presence of God? You know, it's interesting that Moses said that, how will, how will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? He said, you know, it's, it's what distinguishes us from all the other people on the earth. And it's what distinguishes you from all the other people around you. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God. There's something about that. He said, don't go, don't send us unless you go with us. Moses learned a long time ago that he couldn't just do things on his own. There was a time they were going to conquer Canaan, and the Lord said, go, and they said, no. And then he said, all right, you're going to be here for 40 years. And like, oh, never mind, we'll do it. And so they went out, and they went to war, and they all got, you know, they got beat. And so he realized something, that I am not going to do something like this. I'm not going to go up and conquer this land without the presence of God. And there's something to be learned for us in that, that whatever you're looking to do in your life, Make sure you consult the Lord first. See if it's his will in your life. Does he want you to go and do whatever it is that is on your mind to do? But the presence of God is what makes us distinct, different, powerful, attractive. This distinguish allows us to be witnesses. This distinction allows us to share our faith. You know, when I was first saved, um, my guitar player, I've told you the story, he came to the Lord, and there was something about him because he was, he was this kind of meek, sort of pushover guy. We were trying to be like the Beatles, so he was like George Harrison. And so we were like, you know, he was just sort of like a really, you know, nice guy, but he was just very, very mild-mannered. And so all of a sudden, he wasn't so mild-mannered. Something changed in him, and he was bold, and he would come around us and talk to us about sin and Jesus and the gospel and all this stuff. And I was like, hey, Dave, take it easy, buddy. And, you know, because I was brought up Catholic after all, and so I knew all things. And so him telling me all this stuff, I was like, hey, look, I'm on your side. All right, tell these guys. But he would, but there was something about him. There was something attractive about him. There's something attractive, there's something attractive to boldness. I don't mean like brashness, and I don't mean like rudeness or pride. I mean like just something bold in a person who's willing to stand up. Now, look, we were in a band of guys, you know, we were doing bad things and, you know, self-medicating ourselves, let's put it that way. And um, he would come in and talk about the gospel. I mean, he knew what he was going to get with that. Like, we're going to make fun of him. You know, oh, James is a Jesus freak. Oh, here we go. And so, but he was willing to take that because he cared about us. He was willing to put his own reputation or whatever, or pride on the line, to be a bold witness to us. And you guys have friends, especially you younger folks, have friends that you know how they're living. And they, and they need you. They need you to be bold. They need you to be bold and, and, and present the gospel to them in a way that they can understand it. Right? I have my good old, good old friend Travis here today and his, his son Brody. And they've been at our house doing some work around our house, helping us out with some stuff. And Travis was my first Christian friend. My first guy I ever met. Now, look, when I came to Christ, all my friends took off. They're like, oh, you're a Jesus freak now. I'm out. So... I didn't have any friends. And so somebody told me about this Christian camp that they had going on called, what was it called? Berea? Shiloh. Oh, interesting. My daughter's name. I didn't name her after that camp. Um, but, but Travis was singing with a group, and uh, he was another bold guy. And so I was probably, I don't know, three weeks in the Lord or something like that. And Travis knew all the Christian songs. 
And we'd get together and we'd sing, show, oh, here's another song, here's another song. So we would just kind of get together around music and sing together. And uh, it was great because I had a friend, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is, this is living Christianity. And so soon I had other, you know, we, I used to have to make disciples to have friends. Like any, any guy that came into my church, I went to a small church, anyone who came into my church that was my age, I would like headlock them. <laughs> You're going to be my friend. I don't have any friends, right, Jimmy? You ain't going anywhere, you know, because it was like Jimmy and then Phil and then Larry and John and like you know, because sooner or later you're like you got to maybe you don't have any Christian friends. Go make them. Go make disciples. They can be your friends, you know. So I I I have such a uh, fond memories of those days. You know, everything was new and and changing, and the Lord was moving in my life, and the power of God could be seen and. You know, he enables you, too, to reach the world around you. And that's what he wants out of us. He wants us to reach this world around you. You know, only the power of God can do it in your lives. So in Acts 15, it says this. Acts 15, now, we went through the book of Acts. So it says, after these things, you know, they're, they're quoting a prophet. It says, after these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. So this is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's still doing it. God's still, his whole plan was through the Jewish nation to show and demonstrate how he wants to be worshipped. That through the Messiah, now the whole world can be saved. Now we have all have access to the presence of God. So the Lord instructed Moses and David and Solomon how to build a temple for him. It was, the first design was a tabernacle. It was built out of tents. And then it became a temple, right? So all of Jerusalem was sort of set up in such a way that it all got sort of funneled down into one place called the Holiest of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenants sat. So the outer parts of Jerusalem, would, we'd have these outer sojourners. And then as you got closer to the temple, you'd have, you know, the Jewish nation. And, and even beyond Jerusalem, you had Gentiles, right? So everything's sort of funneling in. And then as you got closer to the temple, you had the priests and, 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 the, and all, the, all the Sanhedrin would be even closer to that. And as, then you got into these outer courts and the courts of the women. And as you get into the temple, you get into these... Now you're performing uh, sacrificial rites. And so, if you can put up the next slide. So here's the, here's the inner workings of the temple. So you have, when you come in, the altar burnt offerings, this bronze laver, a table of showbread, lampstand, altar of incense, and then there's a veil, and that's separated everything else from the Ark of the Covenant that stood in there. And only one priest could go in, once a year on the Day of Atonement and make atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. So everything is coming down to more and more restrictions, more and more ritualistic, you know, rites and, and ceremonies and washings. And, you know, as you get closer and closer to the presence of God, why? Because he's a holy God. You know, one of the, Paul Watcher says, one of the scariest things I can say is God is good. One of the scariest things we can say is God is good. Why is that scary? Because you're not. God is a good God, and you're not. So how do we reconcile this? And so God is teaching through the temple holiness and what he requires. Now, 
this look like something to anyone? <laughs> right? We can see Jesus on the cross. You know, this altar of burnt offerings. He was the Lamb of God. Smoke ascending to heaven from these burnt offerings. Didn't he ascend to heaven? And then the bronze laver with the blood and the water. Now, if you look at the cross, it's kind of around the same area where his heart was, where they pierced him. And what, ha- what came out when they pierced him? Blood and water. He washes away our sin. The blood and the water mixed here, the same that came out of the side of Christ when they pierced his side. And then you go into this holy place, and you have a lampstand, a golden lampstand. And there were seven lamps made in the likeness of an almond tree. So there's one trunk with seven branches. And the one trunk stood in the middle, being like Christ, seven, the number of perfection, and six lampstands, the number of man. He was the first fruits. Now, the almond tree was the, one of the first trees to blossom in season. He's the first fruits, the main trunk. And, the, and he's perfect. And then you have the bread of life, this table of showbread. He was literally called the bread. It was literally called the bread of the presence. He is the manna from heaven, symbolized in the Lord's Supper, pointing to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then you come right before the, the dividing of the holiest of holies and the holy place is this altar of incense. And it's a sim- incense is often a symbol of prayer. But here we have, it's sort of, it's sort of, it's the Holy Spirit, it's, it's this constant burning that they'd have to keep going, signifying Christ's per- like perpetual intercession, right? That he's a mediator, he's mediating between God and man. And then there's this veil that was torn in two, right? When he was crucified, from the top to the bottom, giving us access now to the presence of God. Right? And here we have the mercy seat. Now, there's the Ark of the Covenant, right, was, was covered in gold. Gold's the purest uh, form of metal. And it, it sat on the top of it what was called the mercy seat. And what was in the Ark was the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and uh, a jar of manna. So the Ten Commandments, the law that was written against you and against me, is now covered by the mercy seat. It's covered by the mercy of Christ, the mercy of God. And that's why it's called the Ark of the Covenant. A covenant is an agreement between man and God, right? It's an agreement now. The Ark of the Covenant. It's, he's made a pact that I'm going, to re, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to, re, I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to bring you back to the beginning, to the presence, to my presence. In Hebrews 10, it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, Open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now we have access to God. Now we have access to the Holy Spirit. And in John, Jesus says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counsel, counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because he doesn't, it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains in you and will be in you. You know him because he will remain in you and will be in you. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now we have access to the Holy Spirit. Let's not take it for granted. It's, there's a lot of work that went into this, right? To get us back to the presence of God. 
you know, the presence of God in the Old Testament was seen as like a cloud, a fire in, the, in fire in the wilderness, this Shekinah glory that hovered over the Ark of the Covenant, you know, this glowing light. So in the Old Testament, you don't see him much as a person. It's like a, more like a manifestation of God's presence, right? But in the New Testament, Jesus is calling him a he. And he says, you will know him. So in the New Testament, Jesus presents the Holy Spirit as a person who is active in our discipleship. Active in your growth. Active in our lives. You know him. He remains in you. And he'll be in you. You know, we talked about Peter. Pastor talked about Peter last week. And I kind of, I got some stuff while I was listening to him. I said, oh, I'm going to jump on that. (laughs) So uh, Peter's a great example of us. You know, He's a, he's a perfect dichotomy of like flesh and spirit. You know, he's like, he's all in, he's very bold, but he often acts in ways that are just outside of, you know, the spirit of God's intention, you know, or whatever, you know. So the presence of, in the presence, I love, Pastor said this, in the, pre, in the presence of Jesus, Peter could do anything. He could run through a troop. He could run over a wall. He was a man of faith in the presence of Jesus. But left to himself, kind of weak. Kind of a man of fear. In the presence of Jesus, he was a man of faith. Left to himself, he was a man of fear. A lot like us. Right? When he was next to Jesus, he's cutting off a guard's ear. Right? And then like 25 verses later, he's denying him. So, Matthew 16 says, But what about you, Jesus asks? Who do you say that I am? And he's having this powwow on point. And Peter answers, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And then from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wait a minute, I thought you were just... He went from the Father in heaven has revealed this to you to get behind me, Satan. All in like 10 verses. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind or the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And Jesus said to disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life from me will find it. What good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can anyone give her exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. Peter says, Lord, never. Which is it? That's like an oxymoron. You can't say that. Either he's Lord, and that's it. You can't say, Lord, never. Lord, what you said, never. Ain't going to happen. Then he's not Lord. Lord, never. And what else does he say? In the Last Supper, he says, you know, he says, all, you will all, you know, be scattered tonight, you know, you know and, and Peter says, I never will. These guys might. Not me. Not me, Lord. Peter, on the rock. I ain't going anywhere. I never will. 
He likes this word, never. Right? But don't we sound like Peter sometimes when we're too confident in our flesh or when things get a little hot or maybe we're going through stuff? We, we, wanna, we, we, we find strength in our own power, our own understanding. And Jesus had to teach Peter what it meant to die to himself and become a living sacrifice. You know, we have great ideas, too. We may think of ourselves as super strong or having the ability to do within us without God's help. Like, God is there, like, he's there to get you out of trouble. Like, he's your escape clause. He's your Santa Claus. But other than that, we got it. What did Frank Sinatra say? I did it my way. We like that. I want to do it my way. I want to do it my way. You know what? I did it my way. Because I'm a rock. Right? There's something strong about saying that. Or maybe you think too low of yourself. Maybe you think the power of God is not going to work in your life because you're, you know, you're nothing. Because you're too messed up. And you're not relying on the Holy Spirit's power within you. So, in Matthew 26, where after they arrested Jesus and he's being carried off, it says, Peter, the rock, the never will guy, followed at a distance. Followed at a distance. It's interesting. He was curious enough to sort of follow, but not committed enough to be in his presence. Are we like that? Are you following at a distance? Are you following the Lord, but you got some distance between you and him? You know, I'll go this far. I'll go to church, but, you know, I don't want to really commit my life to him, to serve him, to others. i got some other stuff after a while going on. Is, are you following at this? Is there a distance between you and Christ? In many ways, yeah, and this is us. We may be curious enough to read the Bible, maybe even come to church, but not committed enough to lay down our lives for him. Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, what? Must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. There's no other way. This is how we access the Holy Spirit in our lives. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. For what good is it? If you gain the whole world, you forfeit your soul. What good is it? The Holy Spirit changed everything for Peter. Everything. He went from being a man of fear to being a man of faith. Because in the presence of Jesus, he could do anything. You know, when um, they were questioning the disciples... They seemed like, Pastor touched on it last week, they seemed like men who were with Jesus. Because they talked like Jesus. They acted like, you know, they were like bold, like Jesus was bold. They were talking to these guys like Jesus was talking to them, right? They sounded like him. But they had it wrong. It wasn't that they, he, they were with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They were right there in the moment with Jesus. Jesus' presence and Holy Spirit was with them. And they recognized it. People can recognize the Holy Spirit in your life. People can recognize the Holy Spirit in your life. And I said it before that the, the Holy Spirit is to the believer what the phone booth was to Clark Kent. You know, 
Clark Kent, for those of you, you know, it's, he was Superman. Back in the day, there was phone booth. <laughs> and that's where he would change up, becomes the man of power or whatever. Transformation, change of heart, right? Change of mind, change of will to the will of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It changes you, empowers you, enlightens you, gets you out of your mind, gets you out of your thinking, breaks through your thinking. He says, I don't want you thinking of yourself like that. You know, each of us have something to offer, too. You know, there's something about Peter that, that the Lord liked. He was, he was a little arrogant, but he was also bold. I think, I think Jesus liked that. I think Jesus liked the fact that this guy is going to do some stuff. He was like, a, uh, an, un, in, in a, like an untamed horse. You know, he's just kind of wild. He's kind of just everywhere. Wham! You get in his face, I bet he'd punch you. Right? He'd throw down. He was ready to go. He was locked and loaded. Primed. Jesus saw something in that. I like this guy. He's bold. He's a little crazy, but he's bold. I can use that. God can use a little crazy. You know? Be crazy for Jesus, right? He wants, you know, there's... Pastor and I were talking this week, and we're saying, you know, I think sometimes when you come to Christ, people sort of think like, okay, everything has to go, and I have to find out everything about me that's new. And it's like, actually, he's wired you a certain way. And maybe your personality, maybe it's your humor, maybe it's like your hospitality, maybe it's your generosity, maybe it's just something quirky about you that he likes. He's built, you know, there's nothing good in us that would get us to heaven. We need Christ. But we are made in the image of God. There is something in us that he likes, that he's made, that he's built, right? So the Holy Spirit wants to bring this out. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a gift. So on the day of Acts, they were all filled, right? The day of Pentecost had arrived, and they were all together, it says, in one place. Suddenly a sound like the violent wind came rushing from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying, and they saw tongues like the flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. They were filled and continuously filled. They were filled and refilled and filled and refilled and filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul in the book of Ephesus asked the new believers, have you, had the, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So it's separate. You might believe, but have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? You know, there's like this war going on in the believer, you know. It's the flesh, which has its desires in the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. And it is in, in, in exact opposition to the Holy Spirit, to the Spirit. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the, of the Spirit is peace and life. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit... If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, 
The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to live according to the flesh, but to live according to the spirit. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There is a way through the Holy Spirit to live in the Spirit in such a way that it puts away the desires of the flesh and it puts to death those things that would bring you and lead you to death. And there is a way to live according to the Spirit. And we can, it says, walk in the spirit. If you walk in the spirit, Paul says, you will not gratify the lust of the flesh. So walking in the spirit. So how do we daily cultivate this presence of God? This walking in the spirit. What does that mean? What does that really look like? How do we walk perpetually in the spirit? Well, if you're touched here today, there's a way to carry this lamp out with you and keep that lamp lit as you go. You know, the priests in the in the temple, they had to daily replace the incense. They had to daily replace the candles. They had to daily, you know, there was this constant perpetualness of cultivating the presence of God. So first, I would say this. It's what we spoke about recently in earlier messages is understanding the Lord loves you and he is with you. And it's this believing and receiving, right? That understanding that he cares about you and he has a plan for you. And he loves you. It starts there. Jesus says, I am with you always. In the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit, right? The Lord says, I'll never leave you or abandon you. Understand that. That he is with you. That he's present. You know, God, if you learn anything from the Old Testament, you realize that God likes to show up. He likes to show up. And he likes to show up in the New Testament too. He likes to show up in your lives. And he wants to show up today in your life. You know, your friends, your family, your closest companions, they may leave you, but the Lord never will. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Yeah, amen, yeah, give him, give him some praise. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, is what the Lord said to Joshua. Right? He's teaching him and training Joshua how to cultivate the Holy Spirit. So how do we cultivate the Holy Spirit? I think we go back to what Joshua dealt with, Right? He says, be strong and courageous. Meditate and speak the word of God. I'll just read it. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous. Do you think the Lord wants them to be strong and courageous? He says it like five times. Oh, by the way... (laughs) Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or the left, that you may have success wherever you go. This book of instruction, the word, must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. Everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. So being strong and courageous means act in faith. 
Don't trust in your own flesh. Don't trust in your own self. Don't trust in your own power. Be bold. Act in faith. Because he has a work for you to do. He wouldn't say be bold and courageous if there wasn't something he had for you in mind. That's going to take some courage to be a bold witness for him. Meditate. Speak the word of God. Worship in spirit and in truth. You know, you can worship in the spirit. There's a way to worship in the spirit. Spirit and truth. You know, when we worship, we try to connect, not so much with the song, but connect with God. Connect with what the spirit is saying and give your praise to the Lord. When I first started coming to Christ, I would sing the song, I Exalt Thee. And every single time I'd sing it, I'd burst into tears. I couldn't take it. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the presence of God. There's something about lifting your voice in praise and worship. There's something about the Spirit of God coming on you when you worship. Follow His commands. Know and follow the commands of Christ. It's vital. Don't let these words depart from you, is what the Lord says to Joshua. Don't let this leave you. Meditate on it day and night. Keep it in you. Speak it. Speak it to your children. Don't let it depart from you. Because he knows that the flesh will carry you away. It's like you're always on this downward escalator, you know. You're always going to keep walking up. Meditate on it day and night. Do not fear. You know, there's a, something called the spirit of fear. And even as believers, we can come under the spirit of fear. We just fear the worst. We just think about and dwell on the worst thing. That could be, you know, that could happen in the world or whatever, the economy, your job. Blah, blah. You can get caught, so caught up in the spirit of fear. The Lord says, do not fear. Perfect love casts out fear. If you understand that the Lord loves you and he wants to take care of you and he is the Lord of your life, there is nothing you, in this world that you need to fear. There is nothing, and as long as I say it again, there's nothing in this world that you need to fear. So if you've been fearing, then you need to get in the presence of God and reset your brain. And tell that spirit to leave. Nope, the Lord loves me. He cares about me. And he has a plan and a purpose for my life. And lastly, fight for others, right? Fight for others. Disciple others. Pray for others. Yeah. Amen. So we have a closing song we'd like to do. And as we do, let's just prepare our hearts to be in the presence of God. Let's just meditate even now and ask him to fill you. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill your heart and fill your life. There's power in the Holy Spirit. And there's a way that we can access the Holy Spirit in such a way where He fills you and He continues to fill. Maybe you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you speak in tongues. I don't know where you are. Maybe you don't. Maybe this is all new to you. I don't know. But wherever you are today, I know that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to sacrifice a, a lamb that's already been done for you. You don't have to go through rituals. You don't have to go through any kind of religious rites. Right now, if you repent of your sin and turn to Christ, He'll forgive you and wash your sin away and change your heart. 
and you keep on living that way and you keep on cultivating the Holy Spirit in your life and every day you have a devotional life you know in the morning when you start your day is a good time to get in the word and to pray it's a really good time to just set your mind to start yourself out and say Lord today I'm going to start cultivating the presence of God I'm going to be with me today I'm going to carry the presence of God in me but so can we all just stand and can we start that even now it's the morning still yeah it's good we got a half hour left of the morning can we start our day with cultivating the presence of God in our lives put him first seek first it says the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you forget everything else and let's just seek the Lord and ask him to fill us with his presence fill us with the Holy Spirit can we do that